Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Guy, Nick Mason, sourceful of secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Controls Tour. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then right. I did come up with uh, Nick Mason's source of secrets. You did. And in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's U-boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. It goes up to 1972, all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never mm. heard, stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you and, know, uh, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. <laughs> was he, was he, um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. Hello, Gary. Hello, Guy. So we have our first dame. Oh, well, actually, it's not really, is it? Because you're probably a, you're, you're a dame, aren't you? <laughs> a bit of a dame. <laughs> Pantomime uh, dame. And of course, if Bowie, if we could have ever got Bowie on, he well, was exactly, the dame. Yeah, exactly. Right. But, but uh, yes, a, a dame, a genuine, genuine cultural icon somewhat i mean as memorable a part of the sort of british iconography of the 60s as the beatles bobby charlton and uh, an know, e-type jag an e-type um, jag and of course the year she took off was was the year we won the world cup 1966 That's england what, was yeah. england was everywhere and everything and uh, and and she sort of hit that crest of a wave didn't she and 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 became the sort of the, the figure that, as you said, the figure that represented English swinging London, swinging and, London and British yeah. culture. Her name was obviously an, uh, uh, Leslie Hornby, but people will know her better as Twiggy. And I recently spoke to her, actually. I did her podcast, Tea with Twiggy, and uh, she's, she's, she's absolutely... And I've known Twiggy for a while, but she's... Did she actually have you ever met tea? her? Did have you she, met no, her? No, I've never met her. I've never met her, so I'm, I'm quaking in my boots here. Okay, should we get Desperate to make a good impression. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. <laughs> Okay, guys, I'm ready. But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. That caused a big problem in the band, actually. I was having too much fun. Thank you guys for still being around, still making music, still being into it, and doing this podcast. It, it's uh, it's fabulous. Well, I get the feeling that us three should go for a bite. That's what I think. I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. To, to get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Keep on rocking! Yeah! I'm ah! Oh. Hey, Twigs. <laughs> oh, God, I hate technology. Isn't it horrible? It's the worst. Well, it means we can do this. Hello. Hello, I'm Twigs. Hello, Twigs. I'm Guy. Nice to meet Very you. Very nice to meet you. Your house looks lovely, doesn't it? Oh, 
it, 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 we've been here for <laughs> excuse me, we've been here for thirty eight years, and that's the same wallpaper as when we <laughs> moved in. So we reckon this wallpaper is probably fifty years old, but it's lovely. You're sucking a sweet. So I'm just saying you haven't got a speech impediment. You're just sucking a no, sweet for I, people I've got listening. A, um, a fisherman's <laughs> friend. Oh, well, you oh, can come on so as well if you like. So as, yes. <laughs> so as Gary, he's called Sven. <laughs> uh, right, okay, Twiggy, I'm sorry. I haven't met you before, and this may be the only chance I get, so I would like to ask you a question. Go on, then. Would you like that I should wash the dead bugs from the windshield? Do you remember oh. that? Elwood. That was his line to you in the Blues Brothers. Was it? Yes. Oh, my God. I wouldn't have known oh, that in a million years. <laughs> damn, that was... Oh, well. Is that what he said That's to me? Yeah, it's just a great one. Would you That's like hysterical. that I should wash the dead bugs off the windshield? That's really funny. He probably that. wasn't there when she was filming her bit, though, Guy. Was, oh. was, you know. <laughs> he, well, he was, actually. Oh, right. oh, he was. Although we did, we did get... I was meant to shoot... I mean, I was only there for, like, three days. But we were meant to shoot that two days earlier, but it had all got pushed back because, bless his heart, John Belushi, they couldn't get him out, no, yeah. out of the caravan for two days. Yeah, he wasn't well, oh, was right. he? Well, he was yeah. obviously taking things you shouldn't yeah. be taking. But you're acting. Actually, must be said, your acting in that scene is extraordinary, is, is brilliant because he. Oh, thank you. No, because because <laughs> his proposition is so crass. And, and you and you go from this like, what? What did you just say? And but just with your face, then you go, well, actually, <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, it's well, so he suggests you meet him. At, at, what at a year motel. was that? It, it 19, must have been 1979. It's such was an it, iconic oh, movie. Oh yeah, I'm, I was lucky to be in it. Quite honestly, there was amazing people in it. It's a lovely one. To, I mean, as I said, I was in it. If you blink, you miss me. But I did it because I loved. You know, that that point, they were huge on Saturday yeah. Night Live. Although we never heard like, of them before the movie over here, we we had no idea. Oh, you, you know, see, so I was, was living was, in America yeah. then, and they were, you know, Saturday Night Live was the, it was a bit like Ready Steady Go was t to us teenagers ah. in England, but in America in those years, you did not meet and miss Saturday no, Night no, Live because no, it was brilliant. Live from it's funny, New York. It, it's funny, Tw Twiggy, because you just said, you know, I I um oh you know blink and I miss it. I was hardly in it, and sort of underestimating who you are and your and the the icon that you are is, is <laughs> it seems to be that seems to be second nature laugh. to you you still you you still you still you don't feel like an imposter do you know me yeah an imposter no. do you know what i mean it's it's like you 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 underplay yourself i'm a human being i like to live a normal life and i think if you start getting into that area we've all seen it happen in kind of especially in hollywood it, it's not really a happy ending is it yeah. I think you I think you've got to keep normal you've got to keep your your feet on the ground and you know my most important thing in my life are, are my family. I mean I love my career and I've been very very lucky to do lots of different things. But the most the main strength in my life is my family, my husband, my children, now my grandchildren and they're my rock and before that it was my mum and dad and my sisters. Mm. And luckily my sisters are still here but Mum and dad have long gone, but but they they have just lived again because Ben, I don't know whether you know, but Ben Elton has written a musical based on what happened to me. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. And my mum and dad feature in that, so it, it's nice to bring them back. That is nice. Sorry, because when it, when it all kicked off, because it was all so quick, and you were so young, so young, because di didn't you actually, you were still sort of officially living with them through all that, weren't you? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was just sixteen when it happened. So was Gary. Like so was... sixteen and four months. <laughs> so was Gary you... for his first two or three albums, yeah. weren't you, Gal? I, I did. I lived. Uh... At, I lived at home. I was what working class people did. You know, they 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 only moved out when they got married. You know? And they got married like my sisters did, very young. You went to school. They we didn't go to university. You know, people from where we lived. And so my other sisters, you know, I think my elder sister left probably at 16 and went in to do a typing course. And then she became a secretary. And my middle sister, again, probably left at 17, 16 and became a hairdresser. But you talked about keeping your feet on the ground. I mean, when it all blew up so quickly, and we'll, we'll yeah. go through how that happened in a minute, but... It blew up so quickly. Your your mum must have been terrified. Was your dad? Were they saying keep you know remember your roots? I mean, what what was their response? You're right. It happened so quickly. I mean, it literally did. You know, I mean, I was I was still at school, and um, and the piece came through various things that happened and led to the haircut. Yeah, which was literally going to. I was going to have my hair cut by this amazing hairdresser called Leonard. Leonard. Yeah. And it was going to be for his salon. That's what it was for. It was not meant to be launching me as a model. It was a, a photograph of his haircut. What was the salon called? Leonard of... Uh, the House of Leonard. The House of, of Leonard. In Mayfair. But, but I used to know lots... That was the thing. I used to know lots of girls who... who that's how they got their hair cut. They just did pictures yeah. for the salon. It was like... That's you know, right. Yeah. So I... And for me to go into, I mean, the House of Leonard was a house in Mayfair. I'd never been to Mayfair in my life. You know, Neasden is a long way from Mayfair. <laughs> and I was I was dumbstruck because it was so posh. And so so when he said he was, I'd gone in to actually to have a blow drive to do some test shots. And he came over and said, can I cut your hair? And I was so frightened and nervous. I, I kind of just laughed. And he said, I want to do a new haircut. And I didn't really want my haircut. I was a mod. And my hair was parted in the middle, and but I was too scared, scared to say no. I'm very glad now I didn't say no. Anyway, he cut like I went back the next day, and I was in there for eight hours, and he cut it, and they coloured it, and he cut it, and then I went off to this amazing photographer called Barry Lattigan, which was Leonard's photographer, who's still alive. And, Barry Lattigan, I think. I don't yeah, know he, he's he's not very well, but he <laughs> right. is still with us. Bless his heart. Anyway, I was very lucky again because. You know, there are good photographers and there are bad photographers. Barry happened to be one of the great photographers, especially for beauty shots. And I went to this, he was he had a, a studio in Baker Street and I went on the bus to Baker Street and went in and, you know, I'd never had my picture taken. I mean, my dad had taken a picture of me on on holiday with a brownie. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know what to do. And he just stood me in the studio and he just talked to me. He was very, he's a very sweet gentleman. And the the kind of very famous now now famous photograph of yeah. me just looking mm -hmm. into camera was, was taken on that day. Stunning. And I went back to school and then um, a big fashion journalist called Deirdre McSharry came into the salon to have her hair done and she saw the picture and said to Leonard, oh, I love the haircut, who's the girl? And he said, oh, she's a, a, a you know, a school girl and her nickname's Twiggy because she's so skinny. I got this phone call, well, my mum did, in Neasden, saying, would she come up to Fleet Street? I didn't even know where Fleet Street was. Yeah. You know, when you, in those it, days, you lived in your little area, yeah. which I'm sure you did, Gary, as well. Anyway, I went up to there. She interviewed me, and, and two weeks later, it was uh, Twiggy, the face of 66, and 
that day in February. It changed because you life did because it didn't come out straight away, did it? And your dad? No, apparently... my dad used to. Get, <laughs> my dad used to get up every morning and go to the corner shop to get the paper to get the Daily Express, and he'd come back and say, "No, Leslie, you know he was from the north. Sorry about my northern accent." He was from Bolton. Good old Bolton. Vernon Kay's from Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> just did that brilliant. But it was a broadsheet, wasn't it? The Express was a yeah. broadsheet then. Yeah, Proper so it was paper. a big, yeah. big uh, in inside whole page spread um, just saying Twiggy the face of 66 and, you wow. know, it just kicked off from there. Wow. Went, I, but who were you thinking <clears throat> you were when you were looking into Barry's camera at that moment? Who was in your head? What person did you want to be? Because that face you have on is so good. Yeah. So I can't believe you're not, you're channeling someone or something. Well, my idol, in, apart from the Beatles, who, you know, every, I think every teenage girl was madly in love with the Beatles. Um, apart from that, it was Jean Shrimpton, who I just thought was oh. the most beautiful creature I'd ever seen. And she was. And I had her, I had the Beatles on my wall and Jean Shrimpton on my wall. So maybe I, you know, it's a long time. It's over fifty. Years but you're a you're a mod. So didn't you have the small faces and the mod. who up there? Yeah, I, yeah, I did. Like, I tell you what's funny. My sister had a boyfriend who she then married, and his dad had a greengrocer's, and I used to go and and with my sisters to to on a Saturday to so she could you know he see her boyfriend. And there was a grocery boy in there and he used to tease the lady. He was a little bit, I was probably 13, 14, and he used to tease me. He was a real cocky kind of, hello, Leslie. Yeah. And he teased me and I, and I used to get really embarrassed. And his name was Keith Moon. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. He, That's, where, was that Wembley way? Yeah, yeah, in Wembley. It was a green grocers in Wembley. Wow. And I can remember, you know, once I got to know him, he, he was really nice. And I can remember him saying, I'm really excited because, you know, I'm in this band and we're going to have a single come out. And it was, I can't explain. Yeah. But, but that's and, similar to you because he was because um, he was younger than the rest of them as well. He would have been like, I mean, probably a year older than you or two. I'm Yeah, I, I don't know when he was. I think he was that little bit older it, yeah, than me, because, probably a year or two. Cause, I don't know when he was born. Yeah. I was born in 49, so. Yeah, cause it, but, um, but, but he, he was, was like born. 16, 17 when they're first. Yeah. Opened. But I was like, this is the thing of, of when everything happened for you. Now, in the intervening years, we there's been this whole culture of, of pop fame, especially where of, of kids becoming famous. But when, when, when it all happened for you, young people had only just started getting famous. There wasn't really, you know, you didn't really want, know what to do with, you know, there'd be, it'd probably start yeah, with I mean, it wasn't, or it, Tommy Steele. It was, not an, it was not an option. Yeah. You know, I often see interviews with kids today on telly where the, if people say, what do you want to be? So I want to be famous. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a profession to be famous. Yeah, yeah. But that, you know, that didn't even enter our brains. I mean, I wanted to go to art school. I wanted to do, um, I loved making clothes. And I still do, actually. That's my hobby. And I wanted to go to art school and hopefully get into a fashion um, college and do fashion and design. What was the clothes? You said you were a mod. So <laughs> what, were, what were the clothes that you were wearing before, you know, you ended up being dressed by, by all the coutures in the world? Um, it was very much a uniform. I mean, I used to go to a club in... Uh, I was only allowed out on a Saturday night, quite rightly. Quite right, I mean, I was, quite right. I was, yeah, quite right. 
Um, no, my mum and dad were lovely, and I and I was I was I was not a rebellious teenager. I was, you know, dad said home at ten thirty. I was home at ten thirty, but we used to go to a mod club above uh, Burton's Tailoring in Harrow on the Hill, and we saw um, young people like um, uh, Eric Clapton and <laughs> and Georgie Fay. What they played there? They played there. Yeah. They, well, Eric was in the, the Yardbirds, I think. Who who were the other ones in Keith the Yardbirds? Ralph, you probably... Chris Drazier. Um, Jeff, um, was, was Jeff Beck in at the time? No, no. Jeff, Je- oh, well, Jeff Beck. No. Jeff came later. I th- oh, well, then maybe I'm wrong. Jimmy but I do Page. remember Eric Clapton. Yeah. And um, Georgie Fame used to play and there. And the Blue Flames. But the cl- yeah, that's right. And... And the clothes were very uh, specific. I mean, we were the young ones and we used to look at, they were like the older mods that we used to, every week, we, there was one girl particular, particularly who was so stylish. And whatever she was wearing, we would try and co- copy in the week. So my, I got very busy for me and my friend Jennifer with my sewing machine, <laughs> trying, trying to make things. And I remember one week, because we used to wear kind of, I mean, I must have looked like olive oil, actually, because I had <laughs> I had such skinny legs, and we wore pleated. I remember a pleated grey skirt that we got. CNA was the big shop to shop at. There was wow. one in Wembley, and we got a pleated grey skirt below the knee, hush puppy shoes. So you can imagine my legs with those. <laughs> I must have looked hysterical, and little kind of jumpers with racing stripes across the top. And then we went one week dressed like that because that's what she was dressed like. And she was in an ankle-length le- A-line tweed skirt. And we thought, oh, my goodness, uh, where are we going to get that? Uh, so I went I went out after school on the Monday and bought some fabric. And I made myself and Jennifer, my friend, an A-line skirt tweed to the ankle. Her mum forbade her to wear it. She thought it was disgusting. <laughs> Because well, you could see her, could you could see her ankle? Yes, I don't. Who knows? So on the so we took her skirt on the bus because we went to the club on the bus. We put her skirt in a brown paper bag and we went upstairs. And when the bus was going, I hid her with my coat and she took off whatever she was wearing and put on her long scarring. Oh my god! Mad, because mad what what thing. what was sort of slightly happening at that time, and in a way, the wave was forming, and you kind of fell into place just as it was kind of reaching its peak. Is is there was a twenties revival? It seems to me, you know, like the nineteen twenties kind of clothes that start skinny girls, you know, those yeah. the kind of clothes you were describing. Yeah, because earlier. before me, I mean, Jean Shrimpton started it really. If you look at Jean, I mean, she was so beautiful mm. and and much taller than me, and but she was long and lanky, and she looked like I always thought like a a, a kind of young foal with that long yeah. hair and the big eyes and that those legs, and um. But before her, if you look at models, they were they were either kind they were mainly kind of very aristocratic. Well, it, was, it was grown up, old. wasn't it? It was all yeah. Very they were grown, grown up. up. Yeah. And and even girls in their late teens wanted to look like that. They looked older. And then in 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 kind of the movie world, you had people like Monroe, who although they were tiny, they were very shapely, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I weren't. Mm-hmm. So you know, I didn't look anything like that. So. When that whole thing happened to me, I, you know, I actually, I thought they'd all gone mad because I didn't look 
like that look. I was the complete opposite. But that's probably why what happened to me happened. There, but there was that slight flapper kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. Well. really. But also the, there's the thing of, because they'd been model, and like you said, there was Jean Shrimpton and stuff like that. But the thing of, of you being the actual centrepiece, you know, not being a clothes horse, which is kind of what a model is. It, it was about you, the person, right? It was you. Yeah. The look well, I think, yeah, which, I think, which, yeah. Which, again, which encapsulating it, it was, a culture somehow. It, you know. it wasn't planned. Yeah. You can't plan something like that. But what happened when I went, it started out with me kind of just modeling. But I think because of the name, it kind of, and because what was happening in society mm. about young people having a voice, young people having money, shops like Bieber, uh, you know, Barbara Hulinick, mm. you created Bieber yeah, and yeah. changed our lives because you could actually go out and buy a dress for two pounds. Wow. You know, yeah. suddenly the world was our oyster, not our mums and dads. It became, you know, it was very much about being young and all the bands coming out. I mean, it was an artist, Peter Blake and Alan Jones. It was it was like a revolution. Actually. And is that what it, yeah, felt, I, just what it felt like to you, that you were part of the, you know... A, just a, no, like a not, not when you're living it. No, right, no, right. no, When you're living it, you're living it day to day. It was very exciting. And when that whole thing happened to me, I had to get permission to leave school. And my dad, bless him, who was a really lovely, I loved my dad. He was lovely. Um, he was very gentle, very sensible, very down to earth. And he said to me, you know, you may be making a mistake, Leslie. You know, you don't know how much this is going to last, which he was right. You know, it could have lasted for three months. But he said, if I don't give you the permission to do this, you might end up hating me, which I wouldn't because I loved him so much. But it was very wise of him yeah. because had he stopped me, I might he, I might have regretted or held it against him for let, not letting me go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the other thing that was happening, of course, was was the, the rise of working class people. I mean, yeah, there was, exactly. there was a, I mean, if you look at David Bailey in 65, 60, I think yeah. the year before you you took off, the box of pinups that he did and who was in that, yeah. you know, this was the craze, you know, yeah. obviously John and Paul and, uh, yeah. you know, there were lots of working class people in there, yeah. you know. But what was funny was all the actors who sounded posh were, all, were the working class ones. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you talk to Michael, lovely Michael Caine, if you look at his first big film, which was Zulu. Uh, Zulu, Zulu that's right. And he plays, he's, he plays he's this talking top talking with gen. a posh yeah. actor. Yeah. Because that's what you had to do then. But then, if you what happened when the whole thing, working class thing, kicked in, you got the posh actors later on breaking down their accents so yeah. that they didn't, they didn't sound posh because it was it was more fashionable to be working class. Because people forget then, how difficult it was to be working class. I mean, you didn't ever aspire to thinking I'm going to go into I'm going to have never. a beautiful home in Kensington or whatever. Never, <laughs> never. And I that's why I didn't have I had a distant in a dream of being a model and that but no it wasn't a reality of course not because girls like me didn't go to modeling school and didn't you know it wasn't even an option but so much of that is it's that post-war labor consensus isn't it that's a, 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 yeah. a, with all the bands with working class kids going to art school and stuff and getting yeah and basically a lot of it is just getting a confidence which would never have been available to them Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, and of course, now the ladder's been pulled up again, and you know, so yeah, it's it's a revolution. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No. Of course, you don't know when you're in it. You're just in it, right? No, you don't. And 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 it didn't really explode for me until I was taken over to America, and then it just 
Then what happened, I went over as a model to work and because of my name and the thing, the thing that happened to me, I suddenly was on the Johnny Carson show, the Merv Griffiths show. I, you know, you become a celebrity. But we're going to get right. to that. We're, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Well, no, because well, there's, there's, there's a real beef we got with just, that. Just this, just this <laughs> bit on class. Just, just on this side. bit on class. Just this bit on class. <laughs> Go on, it, 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 it's, it's where you and, and being slightly embarrassed about being working class is when you get blokes called Nigel Davis calling themselves Justin De Villeneuve, right? Exactly. Or, and, which I, what I loved because I did realise with Justin is his original name was Christian. Saint Forget. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, well, the, before, but his <laughs> yeah. real name was Nigel Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he was and born then, with. And then, then he, he became, to... oh, he had a fear. Christian Saint Forget. Yeah, because I, I don't know how much you'd like to dwell on this, Twiggy, because having from sort of his account of things, I don't know. And, I, I don't go there. Don't go I'll there. tell well, you that now. Nope. Okay. All right. And if you want to find out about it, you've got to go and see our play close up. Oh, and that—that's my side of the story. Regardless, <laughs> obviously he was—he was someone who—who—he who, was there for you at the beginning. You got to know him through your through his brother or something, didn't you? Yeah, his my sister. I I had a Saturday job in a hairdresser's in Queensway, and his brother worked there in the barbers downstairs, and he used to come and meet his brother. And you know, I mean, obviously we we were together for eight years, I think, and the beginning. You know, was he was always there, and he did look after me. I mean, I think in a way because I've just watched. Um, they, they've done a series of, oh god, horrible stories of young models in the eighties being, you know, taken to Italy and Paris, and you know, basically being pimped out to right. businessmen. Horrible. I'm, I don't know whether you've watched them, but no. they're quite worrying. And none of that happened to me because, again, good old dad, my dad said if I was going to do the modelling, you know, I was just 16 when it happened, he said that Justin would have to go with me or mum or dad would have. I would not, he wouldn't let me go to a studio on my own. So I never had a, a so-called me too moment ever. Yeah, and yeah. I think that was because I was so protected, mainly because my dad insisted. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. And how much was Mary Quant an inspiration? And what was going on? Barbara Hulanicki was my inspiration. Oh, okay. I wore Mary's clothes because I was a model. You, as a model, you don't pick what you wear. Yeah. The, the the magazines book you and they put you in clothes. And obviously, Mary was huge, and she, 
had a lot to do with uh, changing how young people dressed. But her clothes were quite high end. Barbara gave every working class girl the chance to dress and her clothes were just amazing i became obsessed she then became one of my best friends and still is you had your own massive line didn't you of clothes i did yeah till till we realized we were being totally ripped off (laughs) but how 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 hands-on were you with that was that were you actually totally Yeah. Everything I've ever done in my career, I'm always completely... You, if you ever get to know me, I'm quite bossy. <laughs> so if I get involved in something, it's because it's a passion. And I still make clothes. I love it myself. And, I, you know, I make curtains and bedspread. I love it. It's a passion. So, Can I can just give you one little insight? Because back in the 60s, because my, my, I was sort of peripheral as, as a little kid because my, my dad was an actor. My mum... Had used to make shirts for bands and stuff. She worked with a girl. Oh, did she? She worked with Brilliant. she worked with a girl called Bambi, and they called themselves Bambi and Tessa, and they were known as Bait, which was meant to be a riposte to Mr. Fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely Michael yeah. Fish. Yeah. Very, good. Very good. Did you feel that that in a way, swinging London was taken away from you because you you when it happened, you were so much part of it. But of course, you couldn't enjoy it in a way. You were it. You were the centre of it. We, we all. Look- <laughs> but, you t- but you don't think that when you're living it. I, you know, I, I, I had a great life. I mean, I was travelling the world. I was going to Italy. I was going to Paris. New York was major, and then in '68 I went to Japan, and that was insane. You know, I went to a thing, and there were all these little Japanese girls dressed up as me, which was hysterical. Wow, and they would have done like it so accurately. Oh, they were yeah. brilliant. It was brilliant. But I did get mobbed at at, uh, at the, the airport in Tokyo and I burst into tears. So all the pictures of me and the, the Japanese newspapers that next day was me crying. Oh and so the next day, next day, all these girls were walking around dressed like you, crying. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was really young. I, you know, it was like, it was weird. <laughs> well, that's the thing, because the, the, the States is the first big trip. And, the, and, and yeah. it's, you arrive to this sort of, and it's to this sort of Beatlemania. At the, at a little the bit, not, not quite, quite as big as but I did it's... arrive to, yeah. The New Yorker did a hundred pages on it. Did they? <laughs> when it's, yeah, apparently. I didn't even know the New Yorker was a hundred pages long. I guess when you yeah. gather it all up, maybe. But it was quite yeah. extraordinary. I mean, I've seen was, the f- yeah. footage of it. Yeah. And but well, Bert Stern. I don't know whether you know who that is. Yeah, he, he took he, the Marilyn Monroe pictures. Yeah. yeah, he's one of the great photographers of that generation. It was Bert Stern, Richard Avedon, Irving Penn. They were the yeah. greats. And my first trip, age seventeen, to New York, courtesy of Diana Vreeland, who was the editress of American Vogue. So she was the queen of fashion. You know, American Vogue is the pinnacle. And suddenly, age seventeen, having modelled for a year in England and Paris, I was um, ordered to, <laughs> to New York and I was booked to work with Richard Avedon and Bert Stern. So you can't, you can't kind of top that. It was yeah. like... What was Avedon like? What was he like? What was he like? Avedon? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely amazing. I can imagine. Absolutely amazing, man. Very, he was very tiny. He was very, he was like a pixie. And he was very intense, but very sweet. We only had one falling out because he. <laughs> I came in one day to do a photograph and he took amazing photos. He was the first one who kind of took pictures of me. And I was only 17, but he, he, 
I'd always been doing pictures in London. That I, you know, I was a little teenage girl with pigeon toes and skinny legs, and and he he photographed me more as a woman. They're very beautiful. His photographs of me. I don't. I mean, I, I'm young, but I'm not. They're not. They're not cookie and cute. Mm-hmm. They're very beautiful. Photographs. I was because uh, you know I've got. They became a huge thing in the nineties. Those um, you know the those psychedelic pictures he did of the Beatles, yeah. those four portraits. Yeah. Which were actually yeah, for, yeah. for D Stern, weren't they? They were for a German magazine originally. I don't know, no, but he did he did four of me for American Vogue like that. He right. did spring, summer, autumn, winter. And actually many years like there's the autumn one is I mean it's it's a wig, but is a picture of me with this hair flying over my head. An amazing photograph. And because he was he was the first to do Pictures of girls leaping in the air and things uh, like that. I guess yeah. that was partly technology. The, the cameras were were able to capture. Yeah. I don't know because technically I'm rubbish. Yeah. But he ha- his, well, they, his they were assistant... taking pictures of goalies before then, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Spot the ball. Spot yeah. the ball. His, his, his assistant used to hold. He told me what I, you know. He said, "I want you to come in on the." The, the paper which you know is hung down in the studio and then leap up into the air and his assistant you know usually the umbrella where the light is is static and his assistant would hold the the pole with the light and follow me over so i was always wow. lit if you yeah, see what wow. I mean. yeah yeah i mean it was it was a new technique it was um amazing wasn't bruce it was stern was making a film of you as well wasn't he at the yeah same time? so when i arrived in new york to do the shoot with Dick Avedon. Um, Bert Stern, NB, I think it was NBC. I'm not sure. It was either NBC or CBS, I can't remember. Um, commissioned Bert to shoot a documentary on my trip. And um, and that's kind of where I nearly got squashed to death <laughs> by a crowd. I came out of a department store doing a photograph and um, a crowd had gathered and and a crowd draws a crowd. I, I think half the people didn't even know who was there, quite honestly. There's some old bloke who's going, I only give this a few weeks, you know. It'll be <laughs> exactly. That's in the film. <laughs> yeah, they stop They stop a couple of teenage girls who say, oh, she's so cute. I said, Twiggy, oh, yeah, we love her. But it's funny because you look at their clothes and they're still, because they were that much behind yeah. us in America. They're still in knee length. They look like Jackie Kennedy. They've got knee length skirts, little pill bot hats, wow. and bags. <laughs> and there's me and my mini skirt and my eyelashes. And and they stop these girls who are, oh, yeah, they're all excited. And then they stop this middle-aged couple. He's got his hat on and his gabardine raincoat tied up. And he said, oh, yeah, she's cute. She's lasts a couple of weeks. <laughs> that was in And then what bright spark had the idea of getting Woody <laughs> Allen involved? Oh my that God. was Bert. That was Bert. Because yeah. I mean, the, that's interesting shameful, shameful for him. Horrible yeah, behaviour. What's it? What's interesting? Um, it's it's just we've just closed actually. But Ben Elton has, has written this musical based on what happened to me, and that clip of Woody Allen interviewing me is in there. And every night it's hysterical. When it finishes, it gets a row. I get I get around from nineteen sixty seven. Just explain to people what happens in that clip. Well, you need to see it really, but it's I, I Bert said to me, "There's this new young." And comic. he was a nightclub you know, comic he, then, wasn't he? And, yeah, and, and he wasn't he, a big. He, he wasn't a, a big show. famous. Yeah, he he, he wasn't. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't. This is 1967, yeah, so he yeah. wasn't. I'd never heard of it. 
Uh, he wasn't famous, famous, no. except within the clubs. And he was up and coming as a, a comic. And um, and Bert said, I, I want to put you in the studio with this guy. I'm going to get him to interview you because you, it'll be fun. And, you know, and I was used to being interviewed and people saying, you know, how did you get your name and where did you grow up? You know, the normal. Oh, they're all my questions. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Right. Uh, you know, kind of, oh, yeah. do you like New York? What's yeah. your favourite thing? You yeah, know, yeah. whatever. So I sit there, you know, I was open for anything. And his first question was, what are your thoughts on serious matters? And I was like, oh, my. You can see him. I mean, it gets around in the theatre. It's so funny. Then he asks you what your favourite philosopher Philosopher, is. well, there, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. And then I, I did, I said, I don't know any. But he said, oh, everyone's got a favourite philosopher. And I said, who? Because I was panic stricken because I didn't, <laughs> and he couldn't come up with any. And then he, and then in the end, he kind of. No, nah, but then falls you, you got him chair. on Dickens. You got him on Dickens, <laughs> then, didn't you? Eh? But uh, no, but all the. But you need to see it. You do it need to see it. Although the, what I would say, well, there's so many things one could say in your defence, but but one is <laughs> it's just the fact that you are seventeen. It's if you ask Woody Allen when he other. was seventeen. Who was his favourite philosopher? You know what I mean? It's like I just if think you were at school, a... you'd st you'd have just started your A levels. Do you know? <laughs> I I don't even think that's the point. I just think if me at my age now, my ancient age now, if I'm suddenly have to interview some wonderful new young person, you don't do that to them. It's a no. horrible thing to do. I tell you what was going on, and anyway, I tell you what was going you did on it. seriously, and I think it goes back to us talking about the class situation, the class divide, and all of that, and the surprising rise of the working classes. That wasn't happening in America. There were no, no. working classes right. rising up, you know, and 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 I think it was let's catch this stupid working class yeah. kid out, yeah, and I exactly. and I, with with a you know, and it was a middle class trap. And I, th I was disgusted when I saw it. And but you did get him because when you asked him what his favourite philosophers was, he couldn't he name any. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Well, there's also an element you've got to remember that that you're the you know the the last in a series of cultural things that have just turned out. We've been kicking America's ass for a few years by this point. We've been giving him the Beatles. We've been giving the whole That's British true, invasion. And you <laughs> turn up. It's like you know we got everything. What you got? <laughs> yeah and also there was this other thing about well models are all airheads that was the other yeah, thing exactly yeah. but that's been going on for years i think it, i think it's kind of changed well maybe not you can't be you know you can't be attractive and be intelligent which is a load of old codswallopers many many wonderful models <laughs> actresses have proved all the way through. There were models of you, literally models, tiny model. You could buy merchandise of Twiggy. Yeah, I think I after the Beatles, I think the Beatles, in America anyway, the Beatles was the were the first big merchandise thing, and then the Twiggy doll came out in sixty seven, sixty eight. And was Justin um, and and your dad keeping an eye on this? Were you getting hmm. money from it? Yeah, but we got ripped off left, right. You know, we were so... It was new. Things like that hadn't happened before. We got paid. But when you look back at what we should have earned, what I should have earned, you know... But that's but, but there's always that thing of, of, you know, people saying, oh, it's getting ripped off or, or whatever. But, it, but, yeah. but you're and not a business all, person. That's listen, not what you've done. You haven't set no, out but also to sort of make the, a box and sell it, you know. No, but, you know, we did get paid, but... We didn't get paid when you look back what we should have been paid. But, um, but, you know, in the recording world, it was even worse 
from what I can understand in you know the record yeah. business. I know so many. Do you remember a wonderful artist called Tim Hardy? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Who was who became a friend, funnily enough, before he died. He's sweet, lovely, and he wrote beautiful mm. songs. You know, lady came from Baltimore and Reason to Believe. I mean, amazing songs. Mm. He was always broke. He got completely ripped off. Somebody got him to sign something when he probably had a few drinks and yeah. he didn't mm. realize what he was signing he you know and he, he didn't have the rights to any of those songs it's so awful well a lot of those artists tend to be tight right now even to this day don't they because they grew up in austerity as well and yeah never, you know yeah. never quite exactly. sure but it's also yeah. you know i mean this the book was being written on all this stuff i mean who knew what a publishing deal was who, who knew what a good deal was exactly you know, uh, exactly. You know the beatles first deal was 50 50. The publisher got 50% <laughs> for doing what? I mean, like, I know. Did you always have an ambition to, to, to take it further and to do acting and singing? Yeah, I never even thought about it. You know, when you're that age, I don't know whether, you, you know, it's hard to remember what I thought then, but my memory, no, I loved modelling. I was travelling the world. I was happy. I had enough money to buy my Bieber dresses and, you know, I was... I, it was great. And, you know, I was working for the best magazines in the world. And so I didn't even think, I think I, somebody showed me an old interview with, I think Michael Parkinson. And he says to me, would you like to go into acting? And I go, Oh no. <laughs> God. And wow. so it was when Ken Russell approached me, it wasn't actually to do the boyfriend, the film I did with him. It was to do another film that never, never happened. God. But that was because I was training to, do the boyfriend which oh, was his film after the day but he was a friend and of he, yours wasn't he anyway well he became a friend here i met him about this other film that didn't happen which was based on a, a famous book which was about a magician who travels the world with a young very young girl and he wanted me to play the girl um and he wanted paul mccartney to do the music and that's how i met paul because i had a lunch with ken about this project and Paul was there, which was really weird for um, Paul and I laughing about it now because we're old, old friends now from that day. Because I, he was like my favorite Beatle. So <laughs> suddenly, you know, three years before I'd been one of the screaming girls at Finsbury Park. Yeah. And, oh, you saw um, them play? Yeah, oh, but you couldn't hear them. No. You know, you could only see them. Is that the we Finsbury Park like, Astoria would that have been? Yeah. 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 The Rainbow. The rainbow, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, so I was probably about 14, 13. But you couldn't hear anything they were doing, you could just see them because yeah. we were mo yeah, yeah, making yeah. so much. Well, well, no, they just they didn't, have, they didn't have PAs, they had they That's had they nothing. gave up, you know, they had tiny little speakers at <laughs> yeah. the side of the yeah. stage. But then you're having tea with him, yeah. So I was really nervous because he was like my idol. It was like, yeah. oh my yeah. god, yeah, how yeah, do yeah. I not embarrass myself? We, I mean, we laugh about it anyway, but um. And we became friends. But anyway, that didn't happen. Was and he then, with Jane at that point? Yeah, he was. Yeah. And, and you know, we had dinners and things. And But then the boyfriend idea came up because I'd been to see it on stage, the, the revival, and I was telling Ken about it. And he's, he's one night at dinner after a few champagnes said, oh, let's do a film of it. You can play Polly Brown, which is the girl in it. Yeah. And I'll direct it. I've always wanted to do a musical. And I thought, oh, you know, forget about it. Because, you know, you've got to remember, he was the biggest director in yeah. England yeah. at that point. And you went to screenings. Huge. You went to screenings at his house, didn't you, of other movies. Yeah. That was a regular that, thing. That year before we shot it, 
he would have screenings every Friday night of all the Busby Barkley movies and all the Fred and Ginger movies because he wanted me to kind of get in that kind of period era because it was set in the 20s because this the thing and it was a big learning curve well i was gonna say because you're not i mean you said earlier like do you want to act no not really but then not only do you act you take your first thing is this starring role and it's all the disciplines it's singing acting and dancing i wasn't nervous about the singing because i knew i could sing and i love that period thing that you know all those you know ruth etting and elsie carlisle and Bing, you know, all those people. I love that era of music. So that that didn't throw me so much, but the dancing was scary. So I went off to, it was basically tap dancing and I'd never done it. So he sent me off to class and I did a year learning to tap. And I, I learned enough to do for the film, but I, I learned much more afterwards under the tuition of Tommy Tune, who I ended up oh, doing right. the big yeah. Broadway show on. That was that's a lovely drawn out thing, isn't it? How that comes back, how you brought him in. Yeah, that's really yeah. really sweet relationship. Yeah. Well, I got him cast in the boyfriend yeah. because Ken wouldn't fly; he had a phobia about flying. And like one Kubrick. Of them... Oh, really? Kubrick was the same. That's why everything was shot in England. Yeah, yeah. Ken wouldn't fly, and he wanted to cast an American dancer in the American role. He didn't want an English person doing an American. And I'd just come back from a shoot in New York and seen Tommy on TV. He was performing and choreographing a, a, a big variety show. And this creature, I don't know whether you know what, or the audience know what Tommy looks like, but he's six foot yeah. six. Yeah. <laughs> he was one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. These legs that just danced amazingly. And he was so amazing looking. You know, he's half American Indian, so he's got, he had long black hair, very, very handsome, six foot six and tap dancing. I mean, what do you want? I know, I know, I know. So I said to Ken, oh, my God, I've seen this guy. You've got to. So Ken, you know, there were no, you know, there was no Internet. Mm. So he got somebody to in New York to mail um, a video um, thing though, so that Ken could see him of the show and he cast him on the spot. Yeah, and it was a sort of done as a play within a play, wasn't it? Because I yeah. have to tell you, I know that play intimately because I never forget it. I did it when I was 16. I played did Bobby Van Bobby Van Hoosen, albeit, oh, yeah. <laughs> albeit at school. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone did. Lee, you know, who I'm married to, yeah. you know, he played Tony, uh, 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 not, it wasn't amateur, but it was, um, <clears throat> you know, repertory. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Every, I think every young actor has done it But you it fitted it perfectly because there's this 20s revival going on and yeah. Yeah. You, you've got that yeah. look. Those eyes, I mean, you would, you did you did that have that 20s look. I mean, we didn't mention it earlier, but you had a particular skill with painting on your eyelashes. Oh, yes. You? Well, t- I just did, that was... That was me just playing around with my eye makeup. You know, all teenage girls muck around with makeup. If any of you have got teenage daughters, I'm sure, you know, Saturday afternoon they usually sit there doing. No, Guy and I are all boys. On. We're we're all boys. I have four. Oh, years you've well. all got boys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you you miss the teenage girl thing, well, uh, which yeah. is a bit scary, really, I suppose. But um, but girls do muck around with makeup, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I was just playing around one day and, you know, and then as a mod, the whole thing, we kind of blanked out our lips with pan stick. It was all about the eyes. But it was because it was quite androgynous, the mod thing, wasn't it? Yeah. But anyway, going back to the boyfriend, you got two 
Golden Globes did you for that? Is that right? Yeah, because so, the idea of it is—is is this is because the, I mean this brilliant idea of setting, um, you know, a, a, of it being someone trying to do the boyfriend. Yeah. Is, is that because because Ken thought there wasn't quite enough? He story uh, quite Gronk. rightly because if you know the boyfriend, mm. which not everyone will, but it's a pastiche on the nineteen twenties, right, Gary? Yeah. It's mm. kind of it's. It's almost like a, a a very fond send up of that period. Because I think it's, it's written in the fifties, isn't it? Sorry, it's written in the fifties. Yeah, he wrote to Sandy Wilson wrote it in the fifties, and it's his homage to the twenties, and it's quite camp and and it works on stage brilliantly, and you you're taken into this little world. Ken believed, and I think he was right, because they tried to make it many times. Julie Andrews was going to do it when she was young, young enough to do it. Because you had to be, you know, the, the opening song is I'm 17 or thereabouts. So you've got to be young to mm-hmm. do it. Um, and there were many scripts written and it never got made for whatever reason. And Ken had this idea of it being a rep, a rather naff repertory cr- company putting on a production of The Boyfriend in a rather tatty theatre, which we shot in P- Portsmouth at the Theatre Royal. So you got all the backstage stuff as well, which I thought was a brilliant yeah. idea. We know? have to bring David Bowie into the conversation. Ah, yes. Because <laughs> that, that pin-ups cover is absolutely extraordinary. Could you just talk us through how that happened? Because that wasn't going to be a cover at first, <laughs> No, was it, it was going to be, it was shot for the cover of English Vogue. And I didn't know David at that point. This must have been, when did it come 72, out? 72, 73. Yeah, something like that. So we must have shot it around 72. He was in Paris recording. And it, it was all done through English Vogue. They He was huge. Mm. You know, I was, I loved him. I thought he was extraordinary you know his music came out and it was so unlike anything we'd ever heard he was you know such an well you got mentioned on the aladdin sane album because i did in 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 in, uh driving saturday he sighs like twig the wonder kid i i was at home doing the washing up and i heard it (laughs) (laughs) i rushed out and bought it i was like oh my god that's before i met him but anyway um so i flew to paris to do the shoot and for English Vogue, and they had a makeup artist. And because David always kind of, you know, dressed up and did, you know, that androgynous kind of thing, uh, the makeup artist said, I want to paint these masks Wasn't on your face. P- Pierre Cart- no, who's the makeup artist? Pierre? Um, oh, um, yeah, uh, it was French. I can't yeah. remember the full name. Uh, I know you mean. And again, I don't think he's with us. Oh, you're looking it up. I can Well, uh, yeah, might as well. Yeah, I'd love to remember, actually. Yeah. It was, he was lovely. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go on. Anyway, um, he did the makeup where he kind of paints masks on our face and we did the photograph and and uh, we had dinner with David that night and such a sweet, lovely, bright man. And um, we kind of stayed in touch, but not, you know, he kind of moved to America. But really. Who was the photographer so, on that Why day? wasn't it you? So it wasn't on the cover of Vogue. Right. No, so hold on. So we suddenly get a call from English Vogue saying uh, the editor has looked at the photographs. He thinks they're gorgeous, but he won't put a man on the cover of Vogue. That's what I was going to say, because I remember because it was the big deal is because the first man, if I'm correct, to be on the cover of Vogue was Brian Ferry with Jerry Hall in 1975. Probably. Yeah, a bit later. So that would have been anyway, a big deal. He, that would have been a really said, big deal if that picture had happened. I yeah. said to the editor, you are insane. Bowie is the b- biggest thing in the UK. 
you will sell more copies of English Vogue than you've ever dreamed of because of him. And you won't put, no, I can't. And I said, also, we're wearing makeup. You can even credit him his makeup. It was Pierre anyway, they, Laroche. They would, Pierre Laroche. They, Pierre Laroche, thank you. He was lovely. Um, yeah. So they wouldn't budge. So while this argument was going on, David said to me, well, I'll put it on the cover of Pinups, which is the album he was recording. And actually, it's been brilliant because it's had a much longer life because every time they re-release Pinups in different formats, it comes out again. But that's such a lovely idea, isn't it? Sorry, Gary, because because the because it's David's Pinups and he's with a pinup on the. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So and also it worked with the music, didn't it? Because the music was yeah. all you know. Although it felt to me when I heard it as a kid that this music was from the ancient past, but it was only about mm. five or six <laughs> years old. It was <laughs> yeah. the Who, Who records and you know and Small Faces, etc. A bit of Pink Floyd, yeah. of course, Sid Barrett. Did you remain friends with him? Because you ended up doing a TV show with him, much. We did, uh, yeah, again, I'm so terrible with years, but it must have been in the 70s sometime. I was booked to do um, the Christmas, uh, Bing Crosby's Christmas special. which Merry old Christmas special. (laughs) It was called the Merry Merry old. Old. (laughs) Uh, And I I was a guest and David was a guest. And Stanley Baxter was a guest yeah. doing all the comedy. Stanley it was brilliant. But, but and they did it like a family Christmas in a big old, it was a set, but it was like meant to be a big old English house and Bing and his family were in England for Christmas. And we shot it in the September and I sang Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I mean, I was so nervous because Bing, I'd, I'd done quite a lot of telly by then because I'd had a couple of singles out. I'd had Here I Go Again. So I'd been on Top of the Pops where you sang live and everything. Uh, but sometimes you go on and sing to playback mm-hmm. on TV because it was just easier and they got a better sound mix and everything. Well, when I came to do uh, the song with Bing, I presume we'd pre-record it and do it to playback. And Bing would not do that. He only sang live. So <laughs> I said, oh, my God, I've got to sing live with Bing Crosby. Wow. I was so nervous. Wow. But he was so sweet to me. And it's a really sweet recording, actually. It's so sweet. And did you watch his uh, with, do, singing with David? Were you there for that? A little drummer. Um I don't think I was there when they recorded it, but obviously I've seen it. And they released that as a single, as you know. They never Your mum and dad, they, it's on they an never album. Look at each other. No. Your mum and dad must have been knocked out because obviously Bing must have been one of their yeah, heroes, absolutely. right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When my mum, <laughs> my mum was so funny. You know, she was an ordinary kind of working class lady. When I um, in, introduced her once at some do to Sir Bernard Delphont, she curtsied. <laughs> oh. And now you're a dame. No, I'm a dead. <laughs> but, but actually, Guy, it's worth seeing that uh, that Bing Crosby special because he, he it starts off, he's in America and he gets a call from his brother who's got some pile in London who lives there. That's right. And Stanley, oh, Bax, Stanley Baxter plays the, the sort of, you know, all of the servants that are there. Oh, he's the butler. Br- oh. And he's then he br- and, then Bing... and he plays the cork and everything. Yeah, yeah. So so I always assumed it was an American thing. So was it an English thing? No, but yeah, it, it's all shot here. Right, right. Shot here. And Stanley then Baxter goes... only existed at Christmas. Didn't That's he? Right. He had this enormous <laughs> yeah. special, and then he just went back to his cave or wherever for the rest of the year. But then, but, but yeah, Bing, <laughs> Bing goes, Bing goes into another room, and Charles Dickens, played by Ron Moody, is sitting oh, there by right. the fire. No, God, <laughs> I've, I've, I've only seen the little clips. I've seen, I mean, there's the whip. Because yeah. Will Ferrell, <laughs> right. for some, Will Ferrell reshot it 
with someone else. It might have been the guy who does that great actress as well. But he reshot the scene where David comes in and talks to Bing Crosby. Do you remember? Oh, did and, he? And they reshot the whole thing word for word, except for it just it, it becomes a sort of slanging match at the end. But it's it's really, it's really but <laughs> they've done it exactly on YouTube. I think you find it on YouTube. I just came across oh, it by accident I'll, once. Yeah. My daughter my daughter loves Will Ferrell. Well, I love no, him. He Will makes Ferrell, me yeah. laugh. God. So Twiggy, now, talk to us tell, tell us about how you eventually end up going to Broadway and and doing do, and getting do, a Tony I do. nomination. Just I did. Go talk talk <laughs> us through that tale. Because of my connection with Tommy after the boyfriend, um, you know, we became great, great, great buddies. And we were go. We we tried to get another film going, like a Fred and Ginger film, and we couldn't. For, I can't, I can't remember now, but we couldn't raise the money. Usual problems. So he went back to New York. This is in the uh, um, early mid seventies. I ca- he I had two years training with him tap dancing. That's why I got good enough to do the Broadway thing, because um, he obviously is a great teacher. I never got quite to his level, but then. As he said, he's been tap dancing since he was five. Are you still in touch, by the way? Are you still in touch? Yeah, we are actually, yeah. I mean, not close, close, but, um, you know, Christmas and birthdays and things like that. And if I'm in New York, we have dinner and things. Um, He went back to New York and became this massive Broadway director. He's got so many Tonys. I said, you've got so many Tonys, you can make a crown. (laughs) Because he's probably got about 10 or 11. I mean, but his shows were fantastic. He's tall enough. He's tall enough. (laughs) <laughs> and um but he wanted to get back to performing so he had this idea he wanted to do a kind of broadway musical with gershwin music and he wanted me to co-star so he, i remember him ringing me this is in 82 so it's 10 years since we kind of worked together on the other thing and he had the power to get that made because he was such a big uh, director he rang me and said, you know, I've got this idea, it's being written, it's going to be a story based around Gersh, these wonderful Gershwin songs. And I can remember saying, I can't, oh, I can't do that. And he said, there's no such because the thought of going out live on a Broadway stage was so terrifying. And um, he said, there's no such word as can't, pack your bags and get on a flight to New York, which I did. And, um, you know, it was a massive hit. God, what was and that it was, press night like? You must have been... Absolutely terrifying. I, I had I had tonsillitis. <laughs> oh, oh no! Course, you know, and yeah. Tommy had put his back out actually because you know what happens when you're rehearsing, carrying his Tonys show. around. Uh-huh. <laughs> carrying his Tonys around. Ta- yeah, carrying his Tonys around. But you know, you work so hard to get the show on. You're a wreck by the time you open. But um, I'd had tonsillitis for a few days. The doctor gave me God knows what to get me through. You know, because it was. We ha- I had about five songs, I think, plus all the dancing. But anyway, well, we ran for 18 months and we got wow. wonderful like, reviews. And what was that like? Wow. So you, I mean, were, were you expecting to kind of have to basically move to New York for that long? Well, you never know how long, yeah. do you? I mean, if you get in those days, it's not they're not so powerful anymore because of the internet and people put reviews up before the reviewers. But in those days, uh, the the New York Times Mm-mm. had such power. Yeah. They can close a show overnight. So you never know until, but luckily they were very kind. Um, and um, we we ran, we could have run longer. We did eight. Well, I, I was signed for six months, but because it was such a big hit, they then signed us on for an, another year, which I agreed to do. And, and the one and, and only soundtrack the, is out there, right? The one and only yeah. soundtrack? Are you on that? Yeah. yeah. 
a.m. And uh, then Tommy did about three months after we finished in New York, which was 84. Um, he then took it on the road, but I, I, you know, I had a five, six year old daughter. I couldn't go on the road and I'd had an hour, you know, that's a long time to do a long time. <laughs> but I loved it. It was, it, for me, it's, for me, it's the thing I'm the most proud of because I, mainly because I didn't think I could do it. Um, Guy, do you know that Twiggy did a prog rock concept album concert? Do you know? I did a what? How, well, you on, did, how Roger... did I miss this in my research? Well, Roger Glover, Deep Purple. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Oh, right. the Battle of album... Ball. Yeah. Why don't I know that? No, or she's not on that. the album. Right. You're not on the album, are you? I don't know. No, you, 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 no, you played... <laughs> I did that. You did I played the fairy at the end and I... At the Albert Hall. Uh, at the Albert Hall? Yeah, oh. that was scary. But my first concert tour, I did a concert tour in the... Because my first album... Oh, God, I'm so terrible on years. Probably came out in... 73, 74, and I did... He's the Bill Frindle of the show. He's got and, all the stats. And I did cut my first album because i I become obsessed with country music because right. I'd been living in LA. And as you know, country is huge. And um, and just, you know, there's... there's like who? Which, what, 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 any, what? Dolly Parton, right, right. Joni Mitchell. Um, yeah, because that Nancy was... Nancy Griffiths, Glenn Campbell, oh. Randy Travis. I mean, you know. There's so many. Mary Chapin Carpenter. Where you know, did you record the, the record? In London. Oh, you didn't go, uh, you never did a Nashville trip. I did go to Nashville and I recorded in Nashville, right. but I was between record companies and we did some demos, but we, they never got picked up. But it was quite extraordinary recording in Nashville. That would have been in the late 70s. How was it? Before I had go. What, Nashville? They, they shove you in. You've got like three hours to do a track, haven't you, from start to finish. I don't remember finish. that. Oh, I just remember it being amazing. And these amazing musicians, you know, guys doing slide oh, guitar. Yeah, no, yeah. And but I, I always think that because it is such an amazing production line in Nashville, I always think it's a bit like a sort of a mini cab office with just sort of drivers but I think around going, it's be- well, we've got Twiggy, <laughs> who's, who's up for that? But I think it's become, I don't remember it being like that. when right. I, I mean, I'm talking about, the 70s i think it was i mean it was nashville was nashville but it was not what i think it's probably become no what's funny now is is the way the music business has changed is that now everyone's it used to be it was all country and you know it was the country production line all the country producers country musicians now Uh it's everyone Everyone, no matter what type of music you do, I know some guys in a big german metal band they've moved to nashville it's like or it's (laughs) true everyone's in nashville it's really weird. <laughs> Have you thought of moving to Nashville, Guy? I, I, I'll You'd pay, like I'll that, pay for your, you, Guy? I would love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> uh, Twiggy, you're working with my ex-wife, Sadie Frost, aren't you? I am. Doing, lovely Sadie. Because she, she did a Mary Quant documentary and then... Yeah, and that's how... I mean, I've, no, I've known Sadie a little bit over the years. Like, like, I've known you. You kind of meet people and you know them, but... I didn't know know her, if you know what I mean. Like, I don't know know you. Yeah. Well, I do now, because you've done my podcast. I have. I had a lovely cup of tea with you. Yeah, my tea but, with you. Right, so so she's, can I quote that? Twiggy now, says you're actually. a no-no, Gary. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Can you, so, so you're making a documentary, she's making a documentary about your life. So right? Sadie's, when she, when she did the Quant documentary, which was brilliant, I thought, um, the PR people 
came to me and said, could Sadie come on the podcast? I said, oh, I'd love it. That'd be brilliant. So in the podcast, we're chatting away and and talking about quant and everything. Somewhere in the podcast, she said to me, I said, oh, no, I asked her if she was going to do another documentary because, you know, I said, this is so good. You've got to do more. It's brilliant. And um, and she said, yeah, she, she, she said, I'd love to do another one kind of based in the 60s because I love doing all the research and I love that period, blah, blah. And then she suddenly said, oh, I should do you. <laughs> and that's how the idea came out. And have out. you been and discovering so, new archive? I mean, I'd seen a lot of it, but there's a lot out there. You know, I've been around for a long time. <laughs> and then now you're a musical as well. I am a musical, yeah. That's I been am a uh, well. Working with Sadie has <laughs> been wonderful, and we're we're in the middle of it, as you know. I yeah, mean, yeah. It's, you know, I I I doubt if it'll come out much before the end of next year, but um, but she's doing a wonderful job, and I love I. You know, we just get on. We work together really well, and um, and then then the musical came up. Before that, actually, Ben Elton, who's been a close friend for, oh gosh, 15 years, something like that. Um, we were having dinner about three years ago, four years ago. And, and I don't know whether you know, but anyone can do your life story, which is a bit scary. really. And wow. I was always nervous somebody was going to, you know, go out and do either a TV or, a, you know, a stage show you know without well that's true if you're if you're a musician or you know you, you you could say well you're not allowed to use my music that's the thing you, that's when you get things like that hendrix movie don't you which is yeah. with you it was it yeah. was different they, they could anyone could do you it, can't but. stop somebody and Using i know that because years ago um jackie onassis you know who was pretty powerful she'd been married to the mm -hmm. president and she was married yeah. to him. they 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 did a document uh, a drama docudrama on her life no it wasn't a doc it was a drama with um, Natalie Portman being brilliant, actually. It's a good series. She tried to stop it and she couldn't. Right. Which I find amazing that she was, she couldn't. Anyway, so I, I always had that in the back of my mind because over the years we've had people approach us and it hasn't happened, you know, usual thing. And so I, we were talking about this with Ben and he said, well, I should do it. And I said, oh, really? He said, I should, I should, I should do it. I'm going to, I'm going to go, because he's, he's so clever Ben I mean he, he's always writing books and writing mm -hmm. series and he just he you know in the summer he was doing we will rock you again so he went off to write and in in like a year and a half ago he was having a meeting with David Babani who runs the chocolate factory the factory which yeah I'm sure you do and it's a wonderful fringe theatre in London. In fact, I saw Gary in a play there. You were in yeah. Snoo Wilson's yeah. Pig Night there, weren't you? That's right. Well, there you go. There you go. It's wonderful. And what Dave has done is amazing. Anyway, Ben went to see him about another project for the Chocolate Factory, and David didn't like it. And he said, have you got anything else? And Ben said, well, I'm writing this um, thing with and about Twiggy. And he said, I'll do it. So he commissioned him to do it as a musical. And is it a jukebox musical? Is all the music, yeah. so what kind of songs are in there? There's everything from covers when my mum and dad met. So oh, there's great. a couple of 30s songs in it. All right. And then it goes, obviously, there's some good 60s. But he had to pick songs that fit the storyline. Lyrically. So have you, got, you, like, I mean? have you got sort of songs from <laughs> The Boyfriend, for instance? Or no. no oh. The interesting fact, and we have an actor playing... Melvin Bragg brilliantly huh? who comes on to introduce the boyfriend um, and and it tells the story which is true he said the reason we we haven't got any songs from the boyfriend for this show 
Sandy Wilson hated Ken's film so much, which we all knew he hated the film, the man who wrote it, yeah. um, wrote the, the play, that his estate will not allow even to now, 50 years later, will not allow any music to be used. So they found a kind of 20s boyfriend type song, nice. which we use in the piece, but it's quite funny. Wow. So we thought Ben wanted to put that in. Well, yeah. what's the hopes for it? Is it going <clears> to <throat> carry well, on? Well, we wrapped. We ran, because, you know, it's the Chocolate Factory, you only run for eight, ten weeks, something like that. We just closed on Saturday. Um, so I feel kind of slightly sad now because we were going in once a week. I love my car so much. And we've been so involved. You know what it's like when you put... Who plays you, Twiggy? I mean, a beautiful, lovely, talented girl called Eleanor Skye. And her voice just... She was in We Will Rock You, she, the one in the summer, playing Scaramouche. She's got the most amazing voice. And she's kind of, I mean, with the wig and the, the eyelash, and the, you know, on stage, she captured me. It was brilliant. And, is, is it going to um, go on tour, we hope? It's going to go on tour? That's the hope, yeah. We right. we can't up, make up any west. announcements and yet. Up west. We hope so. Right. And then Broadway and the world, love. I don't know. <laughs> More Tonys through your <laughs> surrogate. <laughs> it's been lovely having you on, Twiggy. Well, thank uh, you. Absolute uh, honour and a delight to meet you, Twiggy. Thank it's you been so lovely. Much. I mean, we could chat forever and ever we and could. ever. Oh. But um, oh. Oh. thank you very much. Yeah, and tune in to my podcast, please, everyone. Tea, Tea with Twiggy. Oh, yes. oh, Gary's on at the moment. I am. I am. It, You're chatting away to it me. It's lovely. See you soon. Yeah, lots of love. Well, that was great, wasn't it, Gary? Yeah, yeah. She's such a nice person, isn't she? And but given what all she what she's done, I mean, massive national treasure and an icon of the '60s, and yet so down to earth. Yeah. But what I really like is the fact that that was different, a bit different to what we usually do. But the fact that I think the thing about this podcast is is yes, we're about music, but we're about music that comes from a culture, you know. And she was such a key part of that yeah. culture, the '60s. And you never thought I'd say prog, did you? I didn't, I knew, but yeah, you managed to get it in there. I've got to say, I thought I had a slam dunk with that line from the Blues Brothers, and it's to my great shame that she uh, she didn't remember You it. threw her. I think she just was completely thrown by by your... You do you remember these great lines, don't you? You love movies, don't I you? I do, so yeah. That, you know. yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, look, whatever. Yeah, well, um, it, it was great having Twiggy on, and just, you know, feel like we've, um, we've achieved something quite great by reaching out, expanding our normal portfolio exactly i do you know what i did want to ask her about i wonder if because because you know it's a film that we both love which is ken russell's very first film which is a house in bayswater oh yeah of course a house in bayswater if which no we recommend that, to any it. of our listeners it's it's a documentary about a house in bayswater isn't yeah it? And, and it's, it's all about the all different people and, in it, and it's unbelievable and it's like when uh, yeah, you, anyway, it's, yes, it's like 1962, and it's actually the road next to the road I used to live on, off Nottingham Gate. Anyway, thank you so much for listening uh, this week to Twiggy and, uh, and us, and thank you to Ben Jones for producing this episode for uh, Gimme Sugar. Anything and else? No, no, I think that's it. That was very neat, Gary, very tidy. So it's good night from me. Good night from him. Rock on Tours is produced by Gimme Sugar Productions for Warner Music Group UK. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, 
a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.